Okay. Good morning, everyone. So it's Prashat Tetzaveh. Um, I will share a, a screen in a minute. But Prashat Tetzaveh is essentially four topics. So the first topic, the opening of the Prashat is to do with the lighting of the menorah. And the command was given to Moshe Rabbeinu to... Um, that they should bring oil to him, great uh, olives, and they'll crush them and they'll produce oil. The second is the big day kahuna, the priestly garments. The third part of the, uh, the and of the regular kohen and the kohen gadol. The third part is inaugurating the mishkan, how it has to all be inaugurated, how the kohanim had to be trained to do the service, um, and the various sacrifices or some of the sacrifices that were going to be brought there. And finally, at the end of the parasha, we have the Mizbech HaKtoris, which is the inner altar, the small altar, the small Mizbech, the golden one, um, which was, we had all the other vessels of the Mishkan last week, but this week we have the, well, there's two that weren't there, but the, the one we have this week is the small altar, the one that they brought incense on, the Katoris, and that's in this week's parasha also. That's the four things in this, in this parasha. So what I want to do today is just do some short things about the garments of the Kohanim. And then I'm going to share with you a whole idea on the first part of the Pasha, and the, which develops the theme, which runs through the whole Pasha together. I'll just give me one second. Okay, so let me, let me just share the screen here. There we go. Okay. I'll just make it a drop bigger so we can see. Okay. So, the first part of Prashat Tzavah works like this. No, sorry, it's, it's actually not the first part, it's, it's the second part, but I'm going to do it first. So, it's number one on your handout. So, the Torah says the following. Hashem speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, you should bring close to you as Aaron, Aaron, your brother, as Bon of Itoi and his, and his sons, Mitoich B'nei Yisrael, from the Jewish people, to be Kohanim for me. Who are the people? Aaron, is Aaron. There were five people. Nodav Aviyu, Nodav Aviyu, which were Aaron's two, first two sons, Elazar and Isomar, Elazar and Isomar, the second two sons, B'nei Aaron, the sons of Aaron. As we know, later on, Nodav Aviyu were killed, by Hashem, and it was only Aaron, Elazar, and Nisomar, and then later on we have Pinchas, who was Elazar's son, who became a Kohen later. Then he says, You should make big day Kodesh, you should make a, a priestly garments for Aaron, your brother, which will be for glory, for beauty, very complex clothing, especially for the Kohen Gadol. Then he says, You should speak to those that are smart in their heart. In other words, heart-wise. Who I have um, filled with the spirit of wisdom. They should make the comments for Aaron. To sanctify him. To make him a koyan for me. These are the garments you should make. There was a, 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 like a breastplate. An apron, a long coat, 
sort of a, a tunic, a shirt, mitznefes v'avnet, a, a hat and a turban and a belt. There's one missing here, which was the, um, like the pants. Also, big day koydush la'aron achicha, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, Levonov, and his children, Chanani. And v'heim yichus azov, they should take the, these wise people should take the gold, the tcheles, the, um, tcheles, the blue wool, the purple wool, the the red wool, the linen. They should make very elaborate threads out of them, including threads of gold, as Rashi explains. And with that, they'll make these garments. Now, in other words, there were four garments for a regular kohen, eight garments, which were made just plain white linen. And the other ones were eight, an additional four, which were very elaborate garments that were for the kohen gadol, and that was Aaron HaKohen. Okay, now, we find, particularly with the kohen gadol, the Gemara tells us, that each beggar, each garment, was there to atone for something, right? Each garment was there to atone for a different sin. In other words, they weren't just garments that they were wearing. Now, that, the fact that they wore garments in itself was very significant. The Chinuch explains, we've done this before, that it was there to remind them to be focused and remind them of the holiness of their task. That's the famous Sefer Chinuch where he says that a person follows the actions a person's heart follows the action, a person's influenced by the action, and therefore the heaviness of the garments and the way they wore them and so on would create an awareness and a consciousness of where they were, that was one thing. But particularly with the Kohen Gadol, every garment that he wore represented an atonement for a different sin that was existed among the Jewish people. I'll just run through them uh, quickly. So the Kesoinus, the shirt, um, that atoned for murder, now, when we say atonement for murder, meaning it brought kaparark, it brought atonement for the, the sin of, of, of manslaughter or, or, or murder, particularly when it wasn't able to be prosecuted in a base tin, which can happen if there's no witnesses, whatever the case is. Um, and why was the shirt chosen to be an atonement for that? Because that was similar to the shirt that the brothers, the kusoyness that the brothers of Yosef had dipped into the blood, and they were trying to hide the murder or they're trying to hide what they had done to Yosef by saying that he'd been murdered by an animal and so on. So that's why that was the garment that would atone for murder. The Michnasayim, the breeches, the, the pants were, were atoned for immorality. That's that part of the body, of course. The mitznefes, the turban, would atone for arrogance because it's on top of the head. Um, the avnate, the, the, the belt, and we'll talk about a belt, just to, so you know, the belt was not a small belt. The belt was a very, very long belt made out of 32 amas, which is about 16 meters. And it went round and round and round. It was very heavy around the heart, actually. Uh, that atoned for improper thoughts of the heart. In other words, thoughts that we conceal, but were inappropriate. The choshen, which was on the heart, was about the perversion of justice. If anything went wrong in, in din, that was the, the choshen. The ephod, the, the uh, apron, was an atonement for the sin of idolatry because the idolatrous priests, the pagan priests, would always wear these very, very fancy aprons. Therefore, the apron of the Kohen Gadol was an atonement for that. The Me'il, this is not clear exactly the connection here, but the Me'il, the long cloak, was for Lashon Horror, spoken in public. Maybe it's got to do with the bells that were at the bottom, making noise, I'm not sure exactly what the connection is there. And the Tzitz, the head plate that was worn by the Kohen Gadol, um, on his forehead would atone for brazenness, chutzpah, because the, the way the, the, the Gemara always associates chutzpah with the forehead. In fact, chutzpah in in a Gemara is always called Azus Metzach, the brazenness of the forehead. I guess it's putting, people putting themselves forward without any boundaries or whatever the case is. Okay.
So the Benish Chai points out a very interesting thing. He says, this whole idea of atonement, he says, this explains something in the Pasuk. If you ever look again at number one, you'll see that um, yeah, look, sorry, look at the last, the last verse in number one. Not the last, the second to last, sorry. It says, Ba'godim, these are the clothes they should make, and it goes and lists them. And then at the end of the Pasuk it says, Asu big day clothes, should make holy garments, which is a repetition. It just says, these are the garments you should make. And then it says, they should make holy garments for Aaron and your, for Aaron, your brother. Which is a repetition, right? It's could, just could have said, these are the garments you should make and list them without having that last part of the Pasuk. And he, and he asked a few other questions, but essentially it's like this. The, the, the Ben Ishchai answers the following. He said, every one of these garments... Because we know that each one atoned for a different sin, as we just said. Each one of these garments was two garments. It was a physical garment and a spiritual garment, right? So the physical garment has to be done in a certain elaborate way, in a certain specific way. And the spiritual garment has to be created and designed also by people who know how to do that, by creating a spiritual garment, a spiritual form of sorts, right? And that's people... And he says that's, that, that's the difference between these two garments. Garments themselves, the physical garments, are referred to as begodim, just garments, right? Whereas the form, the spiritual, the spiritual garments that were, were, were made are called bigdei koidish. Now, not everyone knew how to do that. The people who were designing the garments were specially chosen by Hashem. They were chachmei leiv. They were tzaddikim. They weren't just good designers. They were actually great people. And they had the ability to be able to do both, to attach a spiritual garment Connected to the physical garment, that each garment that they made, they would attach the two things together. And that explains the Pasuk. It says, These are the clothes that, that's referring to the physical clothes. These should make and list them. At the end, it says, but you shouldn't forget, they also have to make the holy garments, which are these special spiritual garments, it says in the end of the Pasuk, which will also be for the Kohenim. And that's, that's a garment, a holy garment, each one, one holy garment per one physical garment. Yeah? Okay. So that's just one, one idea about the big day code. Now, I'll just share with you one thing on, on one particular garment. It goes like this. One of the garments was this very elaborate choshen, um, the, the, the breastplate that he would have on his, on his, on his knees. Right? That was made, um, it was made by cloth, and the cloth had, had golden settings, and each golden setting there was a stone, a precious stone. Each one had the name of one of the tribes written on it, all the letters of the Aleph Beis, and so on and so forth, right? So if you have a look, it says like this. Then, in number two, it says, You should put this, it was called the Choshen HaMishpat. You should put into it, The Urim V'Tumim, which we'll explain in a minute. And that will be on the heart of Aaron when he comes before God. He will carry the judgment of the Jewish people on his heart, because the Choshen is, is an atonement for justice. If Hashem atonement before Hashem constantly. What's the Urim Vitumim? So this garment, which was very elaborate, it was a piece of, it, the, the base of it was a piece of material made by these very fancy threads, um, folded into two, right? It was an Amma by an Amma, folded into two, and then it became smaller, right? And they would place 
in the middle, in that fold, they placed a special thing called the Urim Vitumi, which had the name of Hashem in it or something, right? And that gave this breastplate special powers. And this actually did not happen in the second temple. It only happened in the first, uh, in the Mishkan and in the first temple, or all the Mishkans until the first temple, the first Pesach and that's it. Then that, then that thing was missing. They still had the, the garment in the second temple, but didn't have that special, that special insert, right? What was that insert for? That insert was, the word Urim actually means instruction, and Tumim means complete. The Urim and Tumim meant that the Koyan had the, the, when there was a very, very big question that was not, didn't have an obvious answer of what the people have to do and what they have to, what, wars they would fight or other so, sort of questions, the Kohen Gadol would ask Hashem and the answer would shine up on the breastplate the letters that were in the olive paste, all the letters in the olive paste that were there mixed up in the different tribes, it would light up the answer. So the Ramban explains that why it's called Urim and Tumim. So he says like this, he says because there were two things that used to happen. One is that the letters would shine up, right, they would illuminate. That's the Urim. The Tumim was, there was a second miracle, that's the Kohen Godel would have the insight to be able to decode these letters, because sometimes they were all jumbled up and wasn't so obvious what the answer is, right? So that's what the Ramban explains. The Vilna Gaon says, this explains a story that happened in Tanakh, a very famous story that we read on Rosh Hashanah, the story of Chana. Chana, the mother of Shmuel Hanavi, right? came to the, she was childless, as we know, and she came to the Mishkan, this was Mishkan Shiloh, the Mishkan that stood in Shiloh. Mishkan Shiloh, incidentally, stood for 369 years. And uh, she came towards the end. The last Kohen Godel of Shiloh was Eli, right? Eli um, was the Kohen Godel, and he was there when Hannah came to pray for children. We all know the story that Hannah prayed, uh, prayed for children. She prayed quietly, she davened quietly, she was crying. And Eli suspected her of being drunk. Right? Um, he challenged her afterwards. He says, why do you have your, why are you, why are you inebriated and why are you standing like this in front of Hashem? And she said, no, I'm not. I'm not full of wine. I'm not shikr. I'm, I'm a bitter woman crying out my heart to Hashem for children. Right? So the Ramban says that what happened was as follows. Uh, sorry, the Vulnagon says what happened was as follows. F- famous Vulnagon says... Eli wasn't actually sure, right? So he asked, he asked the question, hoping to get the answer from the Cheshem. Yeah? And letters sh- sh- um, illuminated. So he had the Urim. The problem with Eli was, is he was ready towards the end of the Mishkan, it looks like, and he wasn't on such an unbelievable level. He didn't have the Tumim. So what are the letters that, sh- that, sh- that showed up? Chaf, Shin, Reish, He. Right? Which could be read, well, that's why he read at least, as Shikoira. She's drunk. Which is why he reached the conclusion that he was right. Shitaka is drunk, and he admonished her. She said, No, I'm not Shikoira. And that's not the answer. I'm Kashira. Which means I'm kosher. Or, as Eli realized afterwards, Chavshin Reishe can also mean Kasara. That she was like Sarah. Just like Sarah. Was, her prayers were eventually answered and she was blessed with a son. So too, this woman is also going to be blessed with a son. And that was the issue. So the issue was that the Urim, he did ask the question. He was a kind God and he had the, the Choshen. 
problem with him was he had the Urim, he didn't have the Tumim. That, that's what the Vilnagan explains based on the Ramban. And therefore it showed up this way and he misinterpreted it as Shikaira rather than Kashira or Kisara. Oops, that's it. Okay. That's just a little bit on the Big Day Kahuna. In previous years we've done a lot more on the garments of the Kuranim, but, but I just wanted to mention a couple of things. Now, let's go to the beginning of the Parsha. And let's just read it first. And then we'll see. Okay. Oops. What was it? Okay. So, the, the beginning of the Parsha starts in an interesting way. It's Hashem talking to Moshe Rabbeinu, obviously. And he says, Yisro. And you will command the Jewish people. Let's read it together. It's, not, it's, not, it's number three. And they will bring to you, they will take to you, Shemen Zayizoch, pure olive oil, Kossis Lamoir, um, crushed, crushed olives to produce oil for light, Lamoir, or, which will then be used, Lahalois Neir Tomid, to kindle the constant flame. Where will the flame be kindled? The oil moed in the sanctuary, in the Mishkan. The chutzlap just on the other end of the curtain dividing the Holy Ark, the Aaron Kodesh, whatever else. Alo Eidus, Yarach, Oisa, Aaron, Nevona, Aaron and his sons will arrange the candles there. Me'erev ad from evening to morning. Although it has to light from evening to morning. Lifnei Hashem before God. Chukas oil mederoisam. Chukas oil, which means an eternal statute for all generations. Me'es b'nei um, from the Jewish people. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's the first part of the parasha. Now, it's a very, very strange part of the parasha because many Mephrash have lots of questions on this. Number one, why is the emphasis on they should bring the oil to Moshe Rabbeinu? Now, every mitzvah was communicated to Moshe Rabbeinu, as we know, for him to communicate to everyone else, right? So normally it would be, um, Hashem spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu saying, Yisrael, speak to the Jewish people, this is what they should do. Now, first of all, this is not really the place for the mitzvah of kindling the candles. The truth is, this came, this is repeated later in Parshas Emor and in Parshas Baloischa. What's strange here is why it's such an emphasis on Moshe Rabbeinu. Why him? Now, you should command the Jewish people, you understand? That's Moshe Rabbeinu's job. But they should bring to him the oil, why? He's going to have to do this mitzvah. Right? He's going to oversee the mitzvah like everything else, but it's not his mitzvah really. And therefore, why is it coming to him? In other words, this seems to be an over, not an overemphasis, but an incredible emphasis on Moshe Rabbeinu running the show here, right? Okay. So, as a result of that question, I mean, that needs to be understood on a simple shot, but on, on a result of that question, we find many, many different interpretations of this pasuk, more deeper spiritual explanations of this pasuk of. It being not only referring to the menorah, but referring to a deeper light and referring to Moshe Rabbeinu connecting the Jewish people and bringing them together and so on and so forth. I'll just show with you something. I'm going to show with you a very deep idea that's gone through the whole parasha and this from, from a Sikh of the Rebbe. But just a couple of things first. First of all, Rashi brings a really interesting thing and the Balaturim brings it down. You see over there it says, Kosis Lamoir. You should bring the, the oil. Kosis crushed, Lamoer 
to bring light. So the word kosis is a remez, it's a hint to the two Bate Mikdosh, the two temples which this, where this mitzvah took place, which was the first place of Mikdosh and the second place of Mikdosh. How so? You know, the first place of Mikdosh stood for 410 years, the second place of Mikdosh stood for 420 years. If you look at Kosis, you'll see two tofs, which is 400 each, tof yud and tof chof, right? So the obvious question is, that's what the Balaturim says, the obvious question is, so if it's a remez, if it's a hint to where the kindling of the menorah took place, so what about the Mishkan? And what about the third place of English, right? So I saw one of the Mepharshim on the Balaturim says the following, he says very simple. It's only talking about the temples that were destroyed because it's hinted in the word kosis. Kosis means crushed. Crushed is a symbol of destruction. So which was crushed? Crushed was the first piece of English and the second piece of English, Tov Yud and Tov Chav, 410 and 420, right? Now, how about the third Besamekdush? The third Besamekdush is not, was, never, was never going to be destroyed. So that's actually hinted in the next word, Lamoir, light. It's going to be an eternal light. How about the Mishkan? So we know the Mishkan also wasn't destroyed. The Mishkan stood all 40 years in the desert and was dismantled and was hidden. We believe that the parts of the Mishkan are still around. Why? Because it was made by Moshe Rabbeinu. The Chazal tells us that the work of Moshe is eternal. And, uh, and that's why it's still around. So that wasn't destroyed. So therefore, Kossis is only a reference to the first and second Mishkan that were actually destroyed. Okay. The Kliyaka, there's a long Kliyaka now, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but essentially what he says is, the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu is here is like this, because he asks another question. He says, it says, It was to kindle a, an eternal light, an eternal flame. The Menorahs were not eternal, meaning they weren't burning all the time, only at night. So why are they called Ner Now it's not really a big question, because we know that something that happens every day is also called Ner right? Like, for example, there was a carbon brought every day. It's also called the carbon tummy. It means it happens every day. It's consistent, right? He says, nevertheless, what's the pshat? And also, nair is only singular. One candle. The, the nair was seven candles. So he says that the nair tummy, let's talk about the first pasuk here, is actually a reference to something else. It's a reference to one of the candles known in Gemara as nair ma'aravi, the western candle, the one that was closest to the, to the shechina, to the divine presence in the Holy of Holies. And that was miraculously burnt the whole time. And he says, why is that? Because he's, we know that the, the Mishkan was divided into three parts. There was the Kodesh Kadoshim, the Holy of Holies. There was the Kodesh, where the Menorah was. And then there was the outside, the Mizbech. And he says, as a sign for the Shechina, right? As a sign for the Shechina, there had to be a special miracle in each one of these parts. Right? So the miracle, for example, there's a miracle in uh, the Kodesh Kadoshim that the Oran took up space and didn't take up space at the same time. We've talked about this before. The miracle in the second part of the Mishkan was this miracle that there was a candle that had the same amount of oil as all the other wicks, and nevertheless it burnt the whole time. He says, who was responsible for ensuring the miracle? That was the schus of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's why the post says, Va'ata, you, Moshe Rabbeinu, you have to command the Bnei Yisrael that there should be shemen zayizach, there should be the pure olive oil, which will be used not to kindle the whole menorah, which comes later, that's what Aaron has to do, but that will be kindled, the Halos Ner Tomid, the one miraculous candle, which Aaron will kindle, but the miracle will happen because of you, and that's why there's this emphasis on Moshe Rabbein. Okay.
Another interesting idea that I saw before we go to the main idea that I want to share is a very interesting um, Zohar. Okay? The Zohar says that we know we've had a number of different exiles and a number of different redemptions, right? And the, uh, the Zohar says that the Geulah HaAsidah, the Geulah through Mashiach, will come through Moshe Rabbein, the schus of Moshe Rabbein, the merit of Moshe Rabbein. Right? And this is based on a Zohar, a bit of a, a, bit of a sharp Zohar actually. The Zohar says like this. The Zohar asks, why is this Golas taking so long? Right? This is the longest Golas ever. It's trying to... Huh? Yeah? It's a good question, right? It's a question actually best left unanswered, but nevertheless. So Rabbi Yitzchak said... So Rabbi Yossi ben Chalafta was sitting in front of Rabbi Yitzchok and he asked him, why is it taking so long? So Rabbi Yitzchok answered, it's because of bitul Torah. People are not learning enough Torah. So he says, why? He says, because this is what I heard from Rabbi Hamamnuna Sova, who was a great, one of the rabbis mentioned the Zohar, but he was a great Kabbalist as well. And he says, there were three re- exiles that the Yidin went into Golis and they were redeemed from those exiles, b'schus gimel ha'ovois, in the schus of the three fathers. Right? Meaning, like, for example, the first one, Mitzrayim. So we know the Yidim went out of Mitzrayim. Of course, Moshe Rabbeinu took about Mitzrayim, but it was the merit of Avraham Avinu. It was the promise that Avraham Avinu, Hashem had made Avraham Avinu, etc. But he says the fourth one will be Beskhus of Moshe Rabbeinu. Therefore, they went into Golas, the Gemara says, one of them is because they forsake the learning of Torah, and they will come back in the Beskhus of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu is Torah. Right? That, that, that's the idea. And he says like this, therefore he says, that's the Pshat. The Atta, this is this Pasak. The Atta Tetzave Espina Israel. Now, the word Tetzave can mean to command, right? But also means to connect. You know that the word Mitzvah means to Tzafsa, to come together, in Aramaic particularly, right? So Hashem is saying, The Atta, you, you will connect to the Jewish people. When will you connect to the Jewish people? In the redemption to come, the redemption through Mashiach, right? However, when will that happen? When they bring to you pure olive oil. What's that reference to? The study of Torah. And pure, because we know the Torah is compared to oil. It's a wisdom which is detached. It doesn't dilute from anything. It always remains pure. And, and, it, and it's hidden. And this is a reference particularly to the hidden part of Torah and so on and so forth. But it has to be pure, which means it has to be proper learning Torah, which is learned for the mitzvah. And it has to be kosis. has to be crushed. What's that a reference to? That's a reference to but the Gemara says that to really achieve the learning of Torah, you have to toil, you have to work hard, you have to kill yourself with Torah, basically. That's the idea of crash. So, when the Yidin, the Yichu Eilecha, Shemen Zayizoch, and they'll bring to you pure olive oil, learning Torah for its sake, learning Torah for its mitzvah, Kasis Lamor will be crushed and will produce the appropriate light, then it will be, V'ato Tetzaves B'nai Yisrael, you will command the Jewish people. Yeah, that's, the, that's another shot in this process. Okay, now, what I want to share with you now is, is based on a talk that the Rebbe once gave, a very long, a long talk, about this Pasuk and about this Pasha. So we know the famous, famous Balaturim. Balaturim says, it's actually rooted in a Zohar as well, and it's brought to other places, but the Balaturim is famous, famously quotes this. And he says that from when the time that Moshe Rabbeinu was born, right, which is Parsha Shmois, until the book of Dvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu's name is mentioned in every single parsha except for 
This one, right? Okay, actually, I don't need to. We can actually start the show now. Oops, there we are. Okay. Okay. So, Moshe Rabbeinu's name is mentioned in every single parasha except for this one. Why? So the famous idea, the famous thing on the surface is like this. Balaturim says, because next week's parasha, we have the sin of the golden calf, where Hashem became incredibly angry with the Jewish people for doing such a grave sin of avoiding Zorov's idol worship. And he told Moshe Rabbeinu, who was still on the mountain at that point, I'm going to wipe out the nation, and I'm going to make you, I'll make a nation from you. Moshe Rabbeinu went out on a, he, on a, on a, he went all out for the Jewish people. And he said, um, I'm trying to find exactly, he says, like he says, I'm saying, why is the, I'm trying to get the exact, that's later on, I think. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, said to, to Hashem like this, that you need to atone for the sin, right? You need to, if, if, if you don't, if you won't give atonement, if you won't forgive for the sin, erase me from the book that you've written. right? And Hashem said, I'm not going to do that because I'll blame the person who actually did that very well. But at the end, Hashem did forgive the Jewish people, right? However, there's a, there's a klal, there's a rule, it's brought down in Gemara, that if a chacham, if a Talmud chacham, if a great tzaddik, curses himself or says something, even if it's conditional, it has an effect, even if the condition wasn't fulfilled. And therefore, in fact, Moshe Rabbeinu's threat, so to speak, was fulfilled, it was fulfilled in this week's parasha. Where we have one parasha in the Torah. We're talking about the exception of the book of the Bereshis, because Moshe Ben hadn't been born yet. And of course, that exception is the book of Dvarim. Because the book of Dvarim is, it just says, these are the words that Moshe Rabbeinu spoke. And the whole Dvarim is his speech. So it doesn't mention his name again. Except at the end, when, 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 he, when he passes away, right? The last parasha, the first parasha, but the next Dvarim is just his speech. So there's no, there's no natural his name. Other than that, Shmois Bayikra Midbar, every parasha has Moshe in his name except for this one, because that was a fulfillment of that threat. Okay. Incidentally, incidentally, the I saw one of the, again also one of the first from Balaturim says, uh, he says the name of Reb Shol Katzen Ellenbogen of Vilna. He says that nevertheless, Moshe his name is certainly hinted in this week's parasha. Why? It's says beautiful thing because this week's parasha has hundred and one psukim, right? If you take the word Moshe, Mem Shin He, there's always what we call revealed letters and hidden letters. How do you spell Mem? Mem Mem, right? So this hidden letter is Mem. Shin is Shin Yud Nun, so there's Yud and Nun. And He, there's different ways to spell it, but it can be spelled He Aleph. So Aleph. So if you take Mem, which is the hidden letter of the first Mem, Yud Nun, which is the hidden letters of Shin, and Aleph, which is the, the hidden letters of He, and you put them together, the Gematria is 101 which is 101 Pesukim of Parshat Tetzaveh, and therefore, though Moshe his name is not mentioned, but it's hinted in the fact that there's 101 Pesukim. Okay. Now, the famous problem with this is, so why this Parsha? Why this Parsha? 
So one answer that's given is because this parasha always comes around. No, because it's actually very strange that this is parasha, right? Because Hashem takes His name out of parasha's tetzava, which we understand, but actually the Egel Azov hasn't happened yet. It's next week's parasha, right? So maybe it should be, if Hashem says, okay, I'll take you out of one parasha, it should be the next parasha after Kisisa. Why this parasha? One reason is, as explained in some, in some, in some uh, Mepharshim, that it's got to do with the fact that Parshas Tetzava has always got to do with Zion Odor. The seventh of Odor, which is today, by the way. Um, seventh of Odor is always read around, either the Shabbos before or Shabbos afterwards. It's always around Zion Odor. Zion Odor, of course, is the birthday and the yard site of Moshe Rabbein. Right? So that's a significant day. It's a very special day. Um, uh, questionable about where you celebrate Zion Odor, the first Adar, when there's two Adars. The first Adar and the second Adar. So most Paskim, Paskim generally, in terms of the Yartzeit part of it, there's a whole question, by the way, if someone is born in a year where there's not two Adars, then when, it, when is the birthday and when is a Yartzeit if, if there's two Adars, right? So the standard practice is that the Yartzeit, you go the first Adar, the birthday, you go the second Adar. Okay. There's a machloik, there's a dispute among the Paskim, but that's the standard practice. So therefore, the Yartzeit of Moshe will be today. And that's why it's got to do with the fact that he passed away, so therefore his name is not in Parashat itself. Okay. But the fact that it is Parashat Tetzaveh, Bahashgacha Pratis, must mean that it's got a connection to Parashat Tetzaveh. We need to understand why. And when we say it's got a connection to Parashat Tetzaveh, it's not just the first part of Parashat Tetzaveh, it's everything. Right? It's, 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 it's got to do with the, 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 the oil, the beginning. It's got to do with the, the Godim of the Kohanim's garments. And it's got to do with the Mizbech. And the, and the inauguration of the, of the Mishkan, also the Mizbech HaKatoyres, the incense offering. So what's, what's going on? How is it all, has all connected? To understand that, we all need to understand something else, right? That when we say that Moshe Benin's name is not, is not mentioned in the parasha, it's actually a strange thing to say. Although Moshe Benin's name is not mentioned, but in a way, because of that, he's mentioned more in this parasha. Why? How does the parasha even start? The Atta Tetzave, you will command. And it normally it doesn't say like that. Normally it says Hashem spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu saying, speak to the Bnei Yisrael. So this parasha doesn't have Moshe Rabbeinu's name. So every time it talks about Moshe Rabbeinu and what Moshe Rabbeinu is supposed to be doing, it's Hashem speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu saying, the Atta and you will do this. So the question is like this, and this is the Rebbe's observation. What represents Moshe in a deeper way? His name or the word Va'ata? The word Atta. As, a, as a, the Kliyokra I mentioned before actually mentions this, Kliyokra says the word Atta means your essence, right? So you're not like this. A name of a person is actually more of a superficial. We do learn in Kabbalah that a name is very deep and it's connected to the essence of the person and sometimes it can be related to the real, you know, essential energy of the person. That's why if someone faints, as a minute to call his Hebrew name and so on. But, but all true. But at the end of the day, a name is not necessary for a person if he's within themselves. A name is something superficial, only how a person relates to the outside world. That's why a person needs a name. Right? So a name is a manifestation of the person. It's not the person themselves. Yeah? But when you say, Atta, you, you means the real you. Yeah? So what does that mean? Sorry? Right, so it means emotion. So we say that Moshe Rabbeinu kind of was, sounds like it was almost punished. He said, Take me out of your book. So Hashem takes him out of Prashas Tetzaveh 
and leaves him there much more, much deeper. So what does it all mean? To understand this, we have to understand what Moshe Benu was talking about. What did he do? Moshe Benu went out on a limb. He went out completely for the Bnei Yisrael, right? So much so that he told Hashem, if you don't atone for the Egel Azov, erase me from the Torah. So there's three things we have to understand here. First of all, what's the connection? Like, what's, what's the threat? What do you mean erase me from the Torah? How's, how's that going to help? Right? What does Moshe Benu mean? He's saying, if you don't forgive the Jewish people for the sin of idolatry, which is a very serious sin, take me out of the Chumash. And that will help? What's, what's I mean, I mean Moshe Ben was a great tzaddik. He was Moshe Ben. He wasn't just throwing a tantrum. He was, he was, he was, he was saying something. Right? That's number one. Secondly, we have to understand, how could Moshe Ben do that? Moshe Rabbeinu is Torah. He's called Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our teacher. Moshe kibbul Torah misina. Moshe is synonymous with Torah. That's so highlighted in the thing we said before that we say the geulah hasida, the final redemption will come because of Moshe Rabbeinu. What? How do we make it happen? Therefore, we're going to do something that's connected to Moshe Rabbeinu, which is learn Torah, right? Moshe Rabbeinu is Torah. So how can Moshe Rabbeinu say that for a couple of over there avoid the Zorah, for a couple of idol worshippers, which clearly are very serious? We're not talking about people that did something light. We're talking about people that were over. They transgressed the avera of idol worship, right? So he's saying, he's, he's, he's begging Hashem, he's demanding from Hashem, so to speak, that he has to forgive them. And he says, if not, take me out of the Torah, disconnect me from the Torah. How can Moshe Benu, who is Torah, do that? So the explanation of this is as following. It's, it's, it's connected to something we've spoken about before, and that is like this. Two things. First of all, we have to understand the relationship between Moshe Rabbeinu and the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu in the Zoya is referred to as Raya Mehemna, a faithful shepherd. Meaning he was the Nasi, he was the leader of the Jewish people. There's a Rashi somewhere in Chumash where Rashi says, Hanasi hu akol, the leader is everyone. Meaning the Yidin are Moshe, and Moshe is the Jewish people. Rashi says later in Chumash where uh, there's a contradiction. It says one place that Moshe Rabbeinu, when they were coming, they were traveling in the desert. It's a beautiful Rashi, right? He says that, Parashat uh, Chukas, it says that Moshe Rabbeinu um, sent messages to Edom to see if they can get passageway through the city of Edom. That's one place. Another place in Tanakh, it says that the Jewish people sent messages. So, Moshe, so Rashi says, which one was it? Was it Moshe? Was it one the Jewish people? Rashi says, it makes no difference. Moshe is the Jewish people, the Jewish people. Is Moshe the same thing? Right? Therefore, whatever happens to the Jewish people happens to Moshe Rabbeinu. We know this, that when, Ash, when, when even though Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountain, it had absolutely nothing to do with serving the golden calf. Nevertheless, Hashem said, Lech Rei, go down the mountain and see what's happening. And the Chazal tell us it wasn't just about going down the mountain. It was Lech Rei, Hashem was saying, go down. In other words, experience a Yerida, I'm demoting you, so to speak. You're going you're gonna to be affected by this spiritually because the Jewish people said with the Egel Azov, and even though you're here and completely not connected, but nevertheless... You, you, you are connected because you and the Jewish people are one. Now, when we say that the, the Moshe Rabbeinu is completely one with the Jewish people, that's very much like we say that the Jewish people are connected to Hashem. What do I mean by that? So we have the famous idea that goes like this, that it's a medrash, it's based on, the Rebbe doesn't go into such detail here, but he alludes to this, or he references at least. There's a famous medrash that the Jewish people and the Torah precede the world. We've talked about this before. Right? 
because uh, they both transcend the world, they both come before creation. It says the Medrash, Mi Kodam Lami. So who is higher, who's higher than who? In other words, which one comes first, the Torah or the Jewish people? So it says the Medrash, that it says in the Torah, Daber El Bnei Yisrael, speak to the Jewish people, right? Which means the Torah is saying, speak to the Jewish people, which means the Jewish people come before the Torah. Whatever that means, right? What it does mean is is the following, that there's something, obviously our whole essence and our whole connection through to Hashem is revealed through Torah. That is completely true. That's why no one should ever make the mistake that we don't need Torah. Our whole connection is revealed through Torah. In fact, the very fact that we are higher than Torah, Torah teaches us that. We would know without Torah, right? So yeah, so obviously Torah is absolutely essential to the way we relate to Hashem. But at the end of the day, there's a connection, there's a bond that a Jew has to Hashem that is even deeper than the Torah, right? And the same thing we know, the concept of tzaddikim doimim lubayram. Tzaddikim are compared to Hashem. Tzaddikim, tzaddikim go in the same way that Hashem does. So when we say that Moshe Rabbeinu is inseparably bound up with every Yid, the Yidin are him and he is the Yid, it's one deep connection that Moshe Rabbeinu has that even goes beyond the connection that Moshe Rabbeinu has with Torah. Meaning, the connection between Moshe Rabbeinu and Torah is very, very deep, extremely deep, but it doesn't go to the absolute essence of Moshe Rabbeinu. The essence of Moshe Rabbeinu is the connection he has to the Yidin. Which is why Moshe Rabbeinu, on a, on a simple surface, but then it goes even deeper, Moshe Rabbeinu will, will forego his connection to the Torah in order to save a Yid. Number one. Number two, this connection that Moshe Rabbeinu has to every Jew, which on a, on a deep level is even deeper than Torah, is to every Jew, no matter what the Jew's connection to Torah is. The very fact that it's a Jew, Moshe Rabbeinu has a connection to it. Why? Because it, has, because it goes to the very deep connection that a Jew has with Hashem, which is non-conditional on Torah. Now, obviously, again, when you reveal that connection, then you've got to bring it back to Torah, because it has to be revealed and nurtured through Torah. But it, but it exists, right? So with that concept, we can understand everything. Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Hashem and says like this. The Yidin have done something terrible. Not all the Yidin, some of the Yidin. We find later that actually, although all the Yidin was held somewhat responsible, but if you want to talk about the real problem of the Egel Azov, the actual act of idol worship, which is considered a cardinal sin and so on and so forth, there was 3,000 people, right? The Erev Rab. The Rab, others also, but it wasn't, it wasn't only, but it, was, but it was only a handful of people, right? Comes along Moshe Rabbein and says, listen, I, I'm, I can't leave any Yid behind. Me and the Yidin, it has to be every Jew. So you have to forgive them. Now, what do you mean you have to forgive them? Find a way to forgive them. Find a way to give atonement to them. If, if you can't, what does that mean you can't? If Torah won't allow, if the teachings of the Torah won't be able to tolerate the sin of idolatry, which is understandable, it, it goes against the very essence of what Torah is, in other words, if we're not able to do this through the Torah way, take me out of the Torah. Let's go deeper than Torah. 
Take my name out of the Torah. Because my connection to Torah, this is where the name comes into it. My connection to Torah says Moshe Benu is very deep, but at the end of the day, it's just my name. It's not, it's not my absolute essence. It's for Atta, exactly. It's who I am. So the Im Ayin, if you can't find, if you can't find the connection to the Torah, if you can't find a way within the context of Torah to forgive and atone for the Jewish people, Mecheni no Mesifra, it's not a threat. It's a pathway to Tshuva. Mecheni no, take, me, take my name out of the Torah so we can go deeper than the Torah. Yes, I'm, I'm, I might have to forego my connection to Torah temporarily, but, but take me deeper than the Torah so we can reveal the essence of what a Yid is, the essence of my connection to every Yid, and that's where we'll find atonement. Vim Ay. Says Hashem, okay? The Atah, and you, going back to the Pasuk, you means your essence, how you're higher than a name, how you're higher than Torah, Tetzave Espenei Yisrael, is going to, we said before, what does the mean to connect? It's you who's going to connect all the Yidin together. What does that mean? When the, the connection to Hashem is only through Torah, then there's going to be differences between one Yidin and the next. Which on one level is, is true. The Yidin that keep Torah, the Yidin that don't keep Torah. The Yidin that serve Hashem, the Yidin that serve Hashem, which we have a principle in Torah called Kores and, and cutting off a, a, your, your connection to, to Hashem on, on, a, on a particular level and so on and so forth. Right? That's true. But when you go to the Va'ata of Moshe Rabbeinu, you go to the essence of Moshe Rabbeinu, it's Tetzaves B'nei Yisrael. Then you connect all Yid to the B'nei Yisrael. You connect all Yid. Right? Because all Yid, every Yid is connected to Hashem. So it's through the process of Moshe Rabbeinu taking himself beyond the Torah, deeper than the Torah, so to speak, at least in the Sparsha, which is the Va'ata, it's the essence of Moshe Rabbeinu that was able to give atonement and it's able then to connect all Yid together. Now, how does that connect to the rest of the Pasha? Right? So it says like this. First of all, we have the kindling of the menorah. Right? What was the kindling of the menorah? So it says the kindling of the menorah, we ask the question, why Moshe Rabbeinu? They've got to bring to you the oil. So Moshe Rabbeinu had to get the oil and he would give it to Aaron. Why? So it says... Um, it says like this, that when Aaron used to kindle the menorah, he was really kindling and elevating the souls of the Jewish people. Right? That's when, that was the midst of kindling the menorah. But a candle, we also know, the candle is representative of two things, the soul, but also we know the Pasuk says, Neir mitzvah v'toyrah o'er. That the candle represents the mitzvah, the Torah, Torah is called light, candles, mitzvahs are called light, and so on and so forth. Aaron was a tremendous tzaddik. Aaron was beloved by all Jews, etc., etc. But when he lit the menorah, if he would only go on his own merit, he'd be able to elevate the neshamas, but the neshamas who already have a connection to the candle of Torah and the candle of Mitzvah. If you want to elevate every yid, says Hashem, it has to be va'ata. We have to go to you and your deep connection. How you connect to every yid, even as higher than Torah or deeper than Torah. Then when you can bring to you the oil, then when Aaron kindles the candles, he can include all the neshamas, even those who are temporarily distant from Torah mitzvahs, because the Moshe Rabbeinu connection is then revealed in them, that connection which is even deeper than Torah. 
Then we have the inauguration of the Mishkan. Same thing. We have the inauguration of the Mishkan. Also we find an interesting concept. That the inauguration of the Mishkan, although Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't going to be the one serving the Mesa Mikdash. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't the Kohen. But if you look at this week's parasha, every step of the way it had to be Moshe Rabbeinu with great emphasis. Teaching them what to do. The same idea. It's Moshe Rabbeinu who was going to bring them into the idea that they have to be able to, be, to include in the Mishkan every single year. It was the power of Moshe Rabbeinu. Finally, you have in the in the in the in the end of the parsha. What do you have? You have I, I missed that one thing. Yeah, I missed that the the, the garments, right? Um, no, same thing. So, in other words, the garments and the mishkan are one point. The garments and the mishkan are all about atoning for the Jewish people, elevating the Jewish people, and they had to come dafka through Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Then, at the end of the parsha, you have a beautiful thing. You have the katoris, the mizbech of the katoris, right? What's the Mizbech HaKtoros? Mizbech is an interesting thing. On the one hand, it was the altar upon which incense was brought, right? On the one hand, that was the one that was holier than the other altar. The other altar was outside, had all the regular Krabonis, the sacrifices, and so on and so forth. This one was inside the Besam right? Inside the Mishkan. It had incense. Also, incense has a relationship to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is when the whole day was about incense. Dafka brought in the Kodesh HaKadoshim in the Holy of Holies, right? So in a way, the word Ketoyres represents the deepest connection between the Jew and, and, and Hashem. Because that's also the difference between Korban and Ketoyres. It doesn't mention it here, but as other places explain, Korban means to come close, Kiruv. Right? Ketoyres means to intertwine, it's like a knot. The word, the word in Aramaic for knot is Katar, it's, it's, it's a complete knot. Ketoyres represents the ultimate bond between the Jew and Hashem. Now, it was brought inside... It was brought in the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippur. It was brought very, very... It was like one of the holiest things. And yet we find a very fascinating thing. Dafka the Ketoris, there were 11 spices that needed to go into the concoction of the Ketoris. One of them was the Chelbino, which is a very foul-smelling spice. And if you miss out any one of the spices, it was a terrible thing. You haven't done the mitzvah. That power, Mizbech, every other part of the Mishkan had, had a certain level of holiness. But you have to be very pure. To be part of that process, right? You have to be only kosher animals, only 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 kohanim who are pure, etc., who are pure, conserved by Samikdash. Moshe Rabbeinu is the one that has to administer the katoiris mizbech, because that was the one who revealed the deepest connection between a Jew and Hashem, and that's why it included that spice that didn't smell good, because it was, and had to be there, because that was all the yidden together, no matter what their level of smell is, and was, but no, no matter what their connection to Torah Mitzvah is, had to come for the ride, had to, had to become part of that whole process. And that was Dafka, that's only Moshe Rabbeinu can, 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 can reveal that, because Moshe Rabbeinu is the one that not only leads the Jewish people, but leads in such a deep way that it's connected to every Yid, revealing that connection that every Yid has with Hashem, making every Yid equal. Of course then, then it's got to be brought back and nurtured through Torah and Mitzvahs and so on, but it starts at that point, and that's why Moshe Rabbeinu was able to say that if you can't atone them through Torah, I'm going to go deeper. And Ataka is, Moshe Rabbeinu is mentioned more in this passion, not less, but it's Va'atos, not his name, it's his depth, which is the source of atonement. Okay? There you are. Have a good day, everyone.